0: This message, the gospel mission, unobstructed, was preached on Sunday, July 31st, by Pastor Tom Wilkins at Sovereign Grace Church, Tucson. Well, without further ado, open to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. While you turn to Acts chapter 15, 36, our text today Now takes us on Paul's second gospel journey. Second gospel journey. Remember, we were following the blue line of his mission trip that began in chapter 13 of his first mission. Now, in your Bible, you'll see the line changes, it becomes a different color or it becomes dotted back on the map. Use your map, it's awesome. But chapter thirteen until where we are now, that first journey included this God's initial call and sending of Barnabas and Saul, who's now Paul, out of Antioch out of the Antioch Church, their preaching of the gospel on the island of Cyprus, their encounter of a false prophet, one son of the devil is quoted in there as Paul calls him. Saul becomes Paul in reference in Acts. The Roman governor is saved as hearing of the gospel. The journey continued on to the mainland in southern Galatia. Synagogue leaders give them the floor to speak, unaware uh, that they declared that they were going to declare the risen Lord Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. The historic turning point in church history in which the gospel begins to radically go to the Gentiles makes its turn and world evangelism explodes. The historic turning point, which I just read, the apostles flee and attempt on their lives at Iconium. A cripple from birth is healed and springs up and walks. Barnabas and Saul reject being worshiped as Zeus and Hermes. (laughs) That was exciting. And Paul is stoned and left for dead, but raises up suddenly and preaches on. They wrap up the first journey back at Antioch. They travel to Jerusalem for the first church council where the purity of the gospel, salvation through faith alone in Jesus by God's grace apart from the law, the main thing occurs in that gathering. And now we embark on the second mission Man, my heart is pounding as I even think about what that must have been like. If you would stand as we read God's word this morning. We're going to read verse uh, chapter 15, verse 36 through 1610. Not too long this time. Let's read together. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take him, take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe in Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and circumcised him him because of the Jews who were there in those places. For they all knew that Timothy, excuse me, that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them to the observance and the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord, how desperate we are for your Holy Spirit to move on us Let our hearts be set aflame by the hearing of your word. Let us be affected, but changed forever. Not just affected, not just moved, that we'd be different at the hearing of your word. That's your work, that's your delight, that we would hear your word and that we would become more like Jesus. Accomplish that this morning Lord, help our minds, help our souls, see and hear what you're saying. Jesus, be exalted, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, you all have heard the phrase Christmas in July. Well, this is our first of July to live it out in Tucson, and my goodness, it's an oven here. We thought El Paso was hot, but any given moment, you guys are a good four, five, six degrees, and that's a big deal, isn't it? You go from 102 to like 100 billion, it's really hot. My math is a little off. <laughs> Christmas in July. There's a song at Christmas that I love. I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Let's hear the words together. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild, It's sweet the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And in despair... I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You don't find lyrics like that in Jingle Bells, you just don't. This is one of those Christmas songs that reveals the ugliness of the world that we live in, but it does it for a reason. The song's going to go on, we'll get to that later in the message. But the reason I quote this at the front end is so that it will help at least illustratively reveal that there is human weakness and failure and sin that just plagues us and dogs us constantly. Man's sinfulness seemingly wrecks and ruins everything. We all long for a time and a place where finally our hearts can be at peace, don't we? But what we discover is that sin and weakness and failure mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But but enter the unstoppable good news of Jesus Christ. Enter actually our text today. We find in our text today that while in the midst of gospel mission in which unity and peace are preached, weakness and failure and conflict brew. This will not stop the mission. We also find in our text today, we will find surprising and difficult decisions will be made. They'll have to be made in some cases, and yet these will only further the unstoppable news, of good news of Jesus Christ. We will find also in our text, finally, that our good and gospel-minded mission plans will be frustrated, seemingly at times often, and redirected by God himself for the purpose of his good news, his gospel advancement. So I've summarized this in what I call the big idea. Gospel mission is unobstructed by human failure and barriers and advances in power. And here are our three points. Gospel mission unobstructed by conflict, Gospel mission unobstructed by barriers. Gospel mission redirected by the Holy Spirit. Derek and I sat yesterday going over this. Thank God for my brother who can help preachers preach. Derek is a gift to men that are preaching God's word. So together, but I think this was Derek's idea, so I'm gonna blame him. There are humorous ways to refer to these three points. The first point could be, That was unexpected. The second one is, this seems crazy. And the third one, that was definitely not our plan. Number one, gospel mission obstructed by conflict. That's where we have to see the honesty of the scriptures. There are some things that we are not veiled to see. Gospel mission is unobstructed by conflict. Look in your Bible with me. Not long, it, well, how long does it take to read these words? Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. That took, what, four seconds, three seconds? Within seconds, conflict brews in the second mission. These are not um, grade school kids either. These are not junior high freshmen on gospel mission. This is 14 years plus after Paul's conversion. He's been on in a sense gospel mission in many ways central and localized where he was. So is Barnabas. Read the previous text throughout the telling of Acts, you'll find these are mature men. Here's the context of their conflict, verse 36. The context is right here in verse 36. It's right in the middle of gospel mission, the preaching of the word of the Lord and revisiting and caring for local flocks of God, local churches that had been planted. It literally would be as if right at the end of the service, Derek and I got together with Tim and said, hey guys, you know what? Let's do something. Let's all fly to Santa Ana tomorrow and encourage, encourage our brothers there that we sent off to plant that church. Let's do that. And by the time we got to the car, we split up and probably for a long period of time, don't even talk to each other again. (laughs) That's right at the beginning, like the second mission of Paul's journey. Well, here's the crux of the heart of the conflict. Verse 37 and 38, the heart of the conflict. There's a disagreement centered around Barnabas' desire to take his cousin, John Mark. We know that from other texts in Scripture. These guys are family. Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them as they visit the various churches. And Paul, listen to the words, thought it best not to. Mark had deserted them. Verse 2nd half of 38, he'd withdrawn from them and had not gone with them on the work. So we have a little bit of detail, the heart of the conflict. The language is clear. Luke reports. That it was not a simple departure from them. He left them and he left the work to them. And so the heart of the conflict now is drawn out. Barnabas, I think he should join us. Paul, I think he should not join us. And they stood their ground. Well, here's the nature of their conflict verse 39 we've looked at the context and the heart but here's the nature of the conflict right in the middle of God's glorious mission of the proclamation of the savior of the world Jesus the preaching of peace on earth conflict breaks out among the brothers and it is no simple conflict the nature of the conflict is described vividly in divine inspired scripture exposing to a greater degree how deep the conflict really is using this word sharp disagreement the original sense of the word sharp is where we get the word sickle. <laughs> I read that and I thought, oh, this is not going to be good. In this context, it shapes the disagreement as one that's violent and emotional. One of the commentators said it's very likely voices were raised and tempers flared, and then the result in the text, they separate from each other. It's not like they, like, okay, let's just let bygones be bygones, and then they Pile into an airplane together. It's like, man, this is not going well, but at least, no, they separate. While on gospel mission of peace and unity, conflict ensues. Helping us understand the nature of the conflict further, if you didn't think it was bad enough, listen to Kent Hughes. actually paint the picture a little bit better for us. So, the unthinkable happened, Kent Hughes writes. Paul and Barnabas agreed to disagree, went their separate ways of ministry for Christ, the relationship between two great men of God had failed. The omission, uh, the omission of harmonious, conclu- a harmonious conclusion indicates the unstated and de- undeniable failure of two the greatest souls the church had ever known. The honesty of the scriptures, when it peels back and lets us see, were unshielded for the reader We get to some ugly details about gospel mission, don't we? Things can get pretty ugly. Well, we're rebels after all. And the Lord has saved us and brought us into the church. Scripture describes even for the believer, sin crouches near. It's at our elbow, meaning as far as your elbow can reach, sin is right there, as if he's personified. Paul describes a war that's at war within a man. Although the very good I want to do, I can't do it. We're rebels. This is how this happens. And here's the result of the conflict. Verse 39. Verse 39, the second half. Look with me how it's worded. Sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. (laughs) Could have just said, and they just went their own ways. They went off on the, the... The word's detailed help us context is gospel mission the heart of the conflict is serious the nature of the conflict is stark it's sharp and the result of the conflict is separation yet the text also holds for us a greater surprise the conflict leads to gospel advance we're not just left with a conflict that's just like oh my gosh that is a mar on church history We're surprising it made it out of the first century. No, within seemingly moments, gospel advances anyway. The gospel certainly is persistent in this way, is it not? Sharp disagreement, separation are not the end. This is the point. This is what we're hearing in the text. Sharp disagreement, separation are not the end. In fact, the opposite is true in our narrative the deep conflict, and this deep conflict and all of its real and true struggle providentially advances the gospel. Now, outside of today, study God's providence through redemptive history, and you will see at times it's the very means by which he advances his mission. We are rebels, after all. Well, he's able to take what we've intended for evil and to make it good. He will work all things together for good, according to his word. Verse 39, Barnabas takes Mark to, Takes Mark to Cyprus, and mission spreads. Paul takes Silas, that was 39. In verse 40, Paul takes Silas, and the mission spreads. Mission efforts actually are doubled in this case. Man, I love God's redemptive work in the midst of our mess. But I think it's worth us recalling also this about these men, these early disciples of Christ, these early evangelists, these first century saints. Church history in Acts reveals their moxie, their determination The determination of the evangelist. You can write that in your notes. That just sounds funny in my head. The moxie of the evangelist. And I don't mean that in a prideful way. Real pain in conflict and disappointment and maybe even regret, personal hurt. It did not stop these men from getting right back to the mission. I don't even have to add a line of application for us. Let this give us a spine as believers. We've just looked at how the gospel mission is unobstructed by conflict number two. Gospel mission is unobstructed by barriers. But maybe a a better way to say this point is the gospel advances as barriers are removed. You know, we're looking at how the gospel mission advances in power, unobstructed by human failure and barriers. Well, here we face these barriers that we're going to find out in the text. It's verse 31, and I mean, verse, verses 1 through 3 in chapter 16. Let's read it to keep our eyes focused on it again. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra, and the disciple was there named Timothy. You want to hear another description of Timothy? Paul writes to Timothy. I'm going to just turn over there. I think it will serve us for this part. Paul and his the very end of his life, writes to dear Timothy. This is right at the beginning of their relationship. This is what he writes about Timothy later. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you, Timothy, constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first with your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul loved Timothy. It's likely he loved him from the beginning. He's a son of a Jewish woman. We now know her name, Eunice, and a believer, and his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. So not only does Paul come to love him, he's already deeply loved. Listen to the next verse. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. He took him and circumcised him because the Jews that were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now have we not just heard the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing? In other words, the gospel is faith in Christ. It is Grace in Christ. It does not include the law and obedience to the law. It does not include even specifically in that very argument circumcision. You cannot be circumcised and have faith in Christ and that be your salvation. Meaning, let me restate that. That actually didn't come out the way I wanted it to say. You cannot add being circumcised to your faith in Jesus to be saved. That's actually not what's happening in this context let's look at that. This is a barrier worth removing. Without violating the purity of the gospel through faith, the Jewish barrier is still present. Paul knew they're going to be in region after region after region. He is the gospel to the Gentiles, but everywhere he goes, he finds his brethren. He finds the Jews and goes to them. He always goes to them, and he's taking this Jew and Gentile, Timothy, with him and he wants a barrier removed the jews will not listen to them because of timothy's condition and so and so they do this this is crazy that's why we humorously refer to the point this seems crazy i do want to be careful though not to blaspheme the lord in this by the way this is one team meeting i think i would have raised my hand at if i was timothy You know, if I gathered with Derek and Tim right after the service, we're about to go on this trip, and we realized that that conflict, that was not good. And so, all right, so Tom, why don't you go with us? But there's something we're going to do first. I would have been like, how about we not do that? I'll sit in the car. I wonder what Timothy must have been thinking during this. I wonder also if later Timothy looked for a third epistle written to him. 3 Timothy 1.1, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, I am so sorry. <laughs> what was I thinking? Guard the deposit entrusted to you, and did I mention that I'm really sorry? <laughs> Grace be with you, my child. <laughs> uh, humor aside, Paul knew exactly what he was doing, he knew exactly what he was thinking, but also so did Timothy. At times, keeping the main thing the main thing calls for various barriers to be removed for the sake of making a way for the main thing. Let's unpack this even further. We might have questions about Paul's actions, but the text, verse 3, is clear about his motive. His actions do not undermine the purity of the gospel that is grounded in faith in Jesus. He has not added a law or a command to a command also to faith in Jesus but rather is removing a human roadblock that would keep them from beca- declaring the purity of the gospel of faith in Jesus. Now if you want to understand Paul a little bit more in this and the mission as it would go, if you would please turn with me. This is worth turning with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19. Paul writes to the Corinthians this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, hear that clarity, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, Gentiles, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now hear verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. I'm okay if you leave your Bibles open to that or like an old pastor of mine. Keep your finger there and go back to our text. Maybe another way to consider this is this is not a matter of concession. In other words, if the Jews are gonna have a demand, you have to be circumcised, so Paul's like, all right, I concede to that. In other words, responding to the demand. That's not what Paul is doing. But rather, this is instead of concession. This is a matter of convenience or conveyance. What I mean by convenience is not just an easy way, meaning making a way, the conveyance of the gospel, making a way for the gospel Paul does this. Remember, he says, for the sake of the gospel, removing barriers to gospel advance, not changing the gospel to make it easier and palatable, like, okay, faith in Jesus plus circumcision. Now you guys listening? No, circumcision, Timothy will take care of this so that these men and women can hear. They need to believe in Christ to be saved. They're not listening at the front end. Let's try to get them to the back end. For the sake of the gospel, includes Paul's mind making a way, including in, in Paul's mind and his thinking, making a way for the gospel to actually get to the Jews in regions that they will visit. Gospel mission advances unobstructed as barriers are removed, and our text reveals that. And look at what the result is in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith. They increased in numbers daily. In verse 41 of chapter 15, Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The result is the gospel advances and the churches are strengthened. So now we've considered how gospel mission continues on in conflict. It pushes through the barriers actually by removing them. But the gospel mission is redirected now by the Holy Spirit. This is not what we planned, is this whole summary in this section. In that big idea, the gospel mission advances in power, is the emphasis. In power is the emphasis. The gospel is able to advance unobstructed because it is Holy Spirit directed. It's empowered and directed. Verses 6 and 7, look with me. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden. Did I miss this part of the text earlier? Man, I'm so, I'm getting used to my new Bible that Derek gave me. Thank you. Let's just read it. Um, Let's read it all together. I don't mind rewinding because I think you all need to hear this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come To Mysia. They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verses 6 and 7 reveals that the gospel now advances by the redirecting of the Holy Spirit. Earlier we considered how gospel barriers needed to be removed. We know that it had moved its way through conflict, but now we hold that the Holy Spirit himself is the obstacle. So they've run into another obstacle, if you want to call it that. There is a barrier to gospel advance, and it is God himself on the scene. There are two times in the text they are on their way of gospel mission. And the Holy Spirit forbids them using that word. And then in the very next, that's in verses six, and then, but also the end of seven, but the Spirit did not allow them. In another case, forbidding and not allowing the Holy Spirit redirecting the advance of the good news. The Spirit is at work in moving, speaking, directing, coordinating, carrying out, silencing them, barring them, Calling them, it is clear. The Holy Spirit is the one that is advancing the mission. After all, exactly the way that he has determined. Come help us. This is not their plans. This Macedonian call, this was not their plans. This was not their original plan. They had a completely different plan. In fact, you can go back and look at your map. And if we zoomed in using our fingers as you swipe in, do you know what? I will walk up to photos on my fridge and try to swipe them to zoom in. It's just the world that I'm in. Well, in this case, we zoom in on our map of Paul's mission. We follow that line to this area where he was going to go, and it's like a squiggly, like back and forth. It's like I don't know where I'm going. I don't. It's actually the way I drive home sometimes. I, I drove around to this neighborhood, and, it, and it's because of the hiccup, because Paul is wanting to go here, and the Holy Spirit says no. Paul says, "All right, then we're going to go here," and the Holy Spirit says no, and sends them here. <laughs> How many times your GPS would have said, "Recalculating," <laughs> at the Lord's direction. This is not their original plans, but it is certainly God's plan. And Paul's response to the vision is not like mine. It's immediate submission. I would have already been provoked at the first change. Ask my wife. I don't handle change very well. I'm on my way, I got my bag, I'm headed out the door. She says, very kindly, because she knows me after 37 years, honey can I ask you to do something before you leave? And privately, I'm like, great. Welcome to my family. Pray for my wife. You know, I would have already been offset by the first change, but they're not the third change in this. Paul responds immediately. I don't know how we referred to the evangelists and their moxie and their determination. You know what they won't do? They won't ignore the Lord's call. They listen At least we know in this text, these are not perfect men. These men have courage. They have courage more than we can even measure. Yet there's a discernment that they carry as well. And it's a gift of the Spirit. And we'll know his voice, verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. You know what's a sweet insert in the text? The word we, we. Luke is now on mission with them as he writes this letter. If you didn't know, that's actually where he comes in. So immediately we, so Luke joins the team and Paul immediately responds and they go to Macedonia concluding, and here's what moves their motivation, concluding that all that had just happened was God calling them to preach in Macedonia. Paul got it. I don't know what the Lord is doing. I don't know what the Lord is doing. Oh, I know what the Lord is doing. It's him redirecting us to go to Macedonia. Well, now that we've looked at how gospel mission advances through conflict, through barriers by removing them, and now through the redirection of the Spirit, let's ask ourselves, let's consider how we can apply what we've learned. I'll bet along the way you've already privately have been feeling conviction, hopefulness. Let's talk about some specific specific things. Going back to chapter 15 verse 41, let's look at it together. And we went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches. That's right on the heels of conflict. So let's ask ourselves this question, do I believe that God is powerful enough to strengthen our church, this church in the face of even in the middle of or even after deep conflict do you believe that do i believe that that the lord is powerful enough he's powerful enough to strengthen our church no matter what will come in conflict i would love to say i'm ready for it conflict is the last thing that i want though do i believe that he will turn beauty into ashes after difficult situations if you're a christian and you've been in churches long enough i'll bet there's conflict in your past you actually may be here doing an age-old conflict back then it's possible do you believe he's able to turn that around and that beauty emerge again Am I able to trust God and to grant grace and strength even for deep conflict? Can we be so resolved and have a spine granted only by God and respond in loyalty and love towards others? You know, there is a great reconciliation at some point, and that reconciliation is not in our text. Paul will later refer to Mark as being very useful to him at the end of his life somewhere along the way mark and paul can you imagine how mark may have felt you know my cousin you know he he wants me on this mission trip but paul he doesn't want me how long that must have lingered something happened along the way in god's mercy and those men are reconciled and mark is back on do you know what mark we're talking about the gospel writer mark God is able to redeem that. Personally, we consider that maybe as a church, but now, personally, you and me. You know what, before I go one, I have one more. Let's consider one more as a church. What is our attitude towards the church because of conflict we've run into in the church? And I don't necessarily mean this one, but it may mean this one. A private, seething, yeah, I, this, is, this is horrible and I'm out of here. Or, that was horrible, and I'm never going back. I'm never going back to that. What has become your attitude, maybe in the past, but what is becoming your attitude towards the Christian church? I grew up in the church. I have a family member right now. I don't want to be any part of the organized church. And he can give you a long list of reasons why. You know what? Half of the things on that list, I shared the same things, and at times shared the same heart privately wondering if I'm ever even going to stay. Should we stay? What is your attitude? I'll let the Lord bring that to mind for you. Now, personally, are we willing to be honest about our own ability to do exactly what they have done? I think sometimes I think, man, I'm going to avoid conflict unaware that I'm actually the one that can instigate the conflict, I've told this illustration before. I can pull in the driveway, and as a husband, I'm privately thinking these real thoughts in real time with the engine still running and my hand on the key. I'm going to go in whatever Lisa needs, and the kids are running around or whatever whatever age in our marriage. Age is a common word these days. Whatever era in our marriage, I can pull in, and that's my intent. And By the time I get to the front door and open the door, something changed in my heart. And I walk in and like, what, 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 what what have you been, what, when, what did you do? I don't smell dinner or whatever. I don't even know if that's it. I don't even have that on her. I don't know what it is. (laughs) Well, I know what it is. I'm a rebel. And by the time I get from the car to the front door, conflict enters my heart. (laughs) Can we be honest about our own propensity towards conflict? That we might have the propensity to sail away. Remember, our Savior never sailed away from us. I've given him every reason to just look at me and walk away. I'll bet you could ask every member in my family, has your dad in conflict with you got so upset he just turned away? and walk to another room in the house. I'll bet every one of them, to my shame, would say, yep, he has. But in God's mercy, the truth that God has never turned away from me rescues me back. It comes in many ways. My wife finally gets to me and says, honey, you can't do this to the kids. One of my sons comes to me, dad, don't, don't turn away, come back. And I privately remember Christ has never turned away from me. He never got on his ship and sailed. It should be the other way around. He should take how beautiful I am, that's humor, and leave me in a heap of ashes. And he's not done that. Let's also go back and look at verse 7. And as a church, let's consider this. Verse 6 and 7. The Holy Spirit redirects our plans. How quick are we to respond to God's redirection? Well, you already know how quick I'm not to respond. I'll respond opposite. But I think I can say for both my wife and I, the last many months have not gone according to our plan. We've got a swing set on our porch and grandkids that we can swing but we've got three grandkids that won't swing on that swing because they're with the Savior already I had different plans for this year we had different plans but in the Lord's goodness that we don't fully understand yet but we're tasting of his goodness you can ask her he has redirected our plans And it is becoming good day by day in our recollection. It's inexplicable, but it's real. Do we see that the interruption to our plans also are at work, considering it maybe the larger from our church, they're at work redirecting our plans to accomplish his perfect and good will. I can say this straight on. It does not matter what happens to this church. The Lord will be at work in the midst of it to accomplish his perfect will. Be of courage. As a church body, what happens in our actions and in our faith and our conversations when conflict breaks out? Don't give up. Don't turn from one another. Where does conflict take us? Do we lose hope? Are we hindered for too long from believing that God will work? And he will work this out according to his loving, kind, benevolent goodness in his perfect will. The gospel mission does advance in power, doesn't it? Unobstructed by human failure and barriers. You may be here this morning as a believer. I mean, you may, And you may be here this morning as a non-believer. If you have not believed in Christ for salvation, I wrote something down i want to read part of it because i want to be clear for your sake are you aware that through serious conflict and through seemingly impenetrable barriers the advance of the good news of jesus has come perfectly timed and ordained for you right where you sit in this room You've been hiding behind a Christian front, outwardly playing the part of a good Christian, all the while stewing in private sin and rebellion, refusing to submit to God. But he's delivered the good news to you. Christ has come to forgive you. Believe in him. God has providentially come to you at this very moment, and you've been ignoring God's command all the while. But He has not turned away from you. He is present here, whoever you are, to forgive you and to set you free from the sins that wear you down, to restore things that have been broken in your lives. You will see one day the goodness of heaven if you believe in Christ. Believe in Christ. He's ordaining all of this for this moment. Maybe in that sense on this Sunday, this was not your plan and your GPS map is just in holding pattern right where you sit. Believe in Christ. He's your only way to salvation. Believe in the Son of God who has come to take away your sin. Now I reserved the last verses of our Christmas song for this moment. But I reserved it for those in particular that need Jesus and for those that have received God's mercy but need to know that he's still good. Remember the verse, it read like this. In despair I bowed my head There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. The gospel will prevail for you. It will prevail in you. There is not a moment from today forward that the gospel will not prevail. It will not be put on hold. It cannot be taken away from you. Christ's firm grasp on you is permanent. You're going to roll into the entrance of heaven, like John Piper would say, smelling like the smoke of hell, maybe even the robe singed by the flames of hell, but dipped in the blood of Jesus, meaning made pure, by the savior as we all roll into heaven if i could have the band come up as i close you know what's a good hope for us in this text that the lord is going to redeem all of the failure and all of the weakness he's going to redeem it all he's going to turn it all around There may have been something that's happened to you in your past and in this life you may not ever see it removed. You could have been abused as a young man or a young lady. Never in this life to have that one reconciled seemingly it will be reconciled in Christ as the Lord reaches down and takes you in his arms and makes certain that the wrong has been done to you shall fail but righteousness will prevail there's a worse wrong it's our sinfulness and rebellion against the lord righteousness will prevail even over that and it's only because of jesus christ and his unstoppable gospel will prevail